And we're concluding today uh, Psalm 91. have one third message that I wanted to bring from this, this passage. Um, just a, a few moments of review. If you have not been with us, and by the way, there are some CDs out there you can catch up. There's two of them, part one, part two. This will be part three today. But Psalm 91, verse 1, just uh, to review a bit. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide under the shadow of the Almighty. We pointed out that the word dwell is the word for sit and that it's most likely referring to that time when David brought the Ark of the Covenant or the mercy seat up to Jerusalem. He built a tent where he would worship. He would go out and sit in front of the mercy seat. And the thing about the this Ark of the Covenant, and uh, we'll... Go ahead and pull that up. Uh, We've shown, if you've been here, you're familiar with this picture. Uh, When Moses had this made, Exodus 25, 22, God promised that he would do two things at the Ark of the Covenant, which was kind of the Old Testament throne and place where God would dwell. He says, Exodus 25, 22, there at the mercy seat or Ark of the Covenant, I will meet with you. And from above the mercy seat, between the two angels, I will speak with you. So he said he would meet with them and that he would speak with them. Now, what we've been looking at um, in Psalm 91 is the first two verses. And here's the outline if you want to pull up this outline. Um, These first two verses, David is speaking to the Lord. He says in verse 2, I will say to the Lord. That's the English Standard Version. uh, My refuge, my fortress, my God in whom I trust. He's come before this mercy seat, the place where God promised to meet and to speak. And he's talking to God. He's saying, Lord, you're my refuge, you're my fortress. David was the king of Israel. David knew what it was to have problems. David knew what it was to have enemies. And he's come before the Lord. And he's saying, Lord, you're my refuge from all of these life issues. And then in verse 3 to 13, David is speaking to others. You'll notice verse 3, he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and the deadly deadly pestilence. In verse 2, he says, I will say to the Lord, my refuge, my fortress, my God in whom I trust. You notice that in verse 2? But in verse 3, he's turned now to others, to us, and he says, he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler. So he's inviting the rest of us to join him with God as our refuge as well as Him. And verse 3 through 13 is all to us. And this is what we looked at last time. And uh, you can get it online or get the CD out there at the kiosk. But these are all you statements, verse 3 through 13. 
in verse 9, he says, Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge. See, he's turned from talking to himself to talking to others. And then a crescendo is reached, if, uh, like a musical score building up. In verse 14 to 16, God himself speaks to both David and to us. So David speaks to God, David speaks to us, and then God speaks to us all. You remember at the mercy seat, God promised he would do that. He said, I will do two things. There, Exodus 25, I will meet with you, that is his presence, and I will speak with you. Well, if, if what we have said is true, that this is the mercy seat experience, then what you have in verse 14 through 16 is God speaking to us at the mercy seat. So it is the, this third section that I want us to look at this morning. He goes from I, the God in whom I trust, in verse 1 and 2, to you telling us he wants us to trust in this same God. And beginning in verse 14, it's he, verse 14. Let's read this together. In fact, uh, pull up the uh, uh, verse 14 to 16 on the screen there. This is the English Standard Version. He says, Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. this, This is now God talking. I will protect him because he knows my name. Verse 15, when he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. These are eight things that God promises to those who have come before the mercy seat and are turning their hearts and their face toward God. These eight things in verse 14, 15, and 16 are the benefits that come to the Christian who wants to know God and love God. To put Him as their primary affection in life. And... You'll, you'll notice in uh, verse 14, he says, Because he holds fast to me in love. I, I do like the King James Version here. It says, Because he sets his heart or his love on me. Now, to set is, is, to, is, is intent. It's used, for example, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word is used in 1 Kings 9 Verse 19, when Solomon, it says he desired to build these buildings in Jerusalem. He intended to. And it doesn't say he completed all of it, but he intended to do it. So intent, the word is intent here. Because he intends, this is his plan, is that this year I intend to make God and his kingdom and His love for me, and His presence, I intend to make that my passion. As you all know, intent and result are not always the same. 
Amen? Because, see, I don't, what I don't want to do is raise this up to such a level that it's not attainable to us. I intended, when I went to college, my first year in college, I intended to take piano and music. It didn't hurt that the piano teacher was pretty. <laughs> I can tell y'all were getting nervous there. She was a good Christian woman, okay? And she was very pretty. And I thought, I want to take piano and I'm going to make her proud of me. And you know what? I got an F by her, the pretty woman, the Christian woman, not the pretty woman. (laughs) I intended one thing and resulted in another. So when he says, he that that sets his love on me, he that puts his intention toward me. I don't want you to see this as unattainable. This is the direction of our heart, not the perfection of our heart. So he then says, I will, here's eight things, eight benefits that God will do for those who will follow that requirement. Let's look at these eight. I want us to go over them quickly with each one. In verse 14, God says, I will deliver him. We're going to get into situations and issues and dilemmas that only God can get us out of. God promises he will do that. Number two, verse 14, I will protect him. Now, that's not just getting you out of something. That's keeping you from getting in it to begin with. This is like a defensive. God God says, I'll protect you from things. Now, the thing about that is we don't know all that God's protected us from because he protected us from it. There, uh, One Christian man gave testimony uh, that I read recently. He was uh, going to the Middle East, and he read and prayed Psalm 91 over his life as he went there. Lord, you promised you would protect me. That was what you said, and I, I know that I love you. I know I don't love you as much as I should and as much as I could, but I love you, and that's the direction of my heart. And so he had to visit this, the Middle East on business. And while he was there in a hotel lobby, a terrorist came in, and set off a suicide vest bomb. Just as the bomb triggered, he was walking through the lobby, this Christian man, and walked right behind or directly uh, between a pillar in the lobby of this hotel. The shrapnel went all over and killed many people. But at the moment it went off, he was protected by that pillar that was wide enough to save his life. Didn't touch him. There are many things God does to protect us. Here's a third one. He says, I will answer him, verse 15. When he calls to me, I will answer him. God will answer your prayers. Now, I am just giving you what God says in these eight promises. 
I'm not trying to be a prosperity and health preacher. I'm not trying to be a gloom and doom preacher. I'm just trying to tell you and be fair with, these, with this text and tell you what God promised to give you if you will put your heart toward Him. And if you will come before the mercy seat and find mercy with Him and pray to Him and talk to Him. And He says, if you will call on me, I will answer you. That's His word. That's His promise. I was, uh, some years ago, we needed, I think uh, our church was in this building program and we needed a $10,000 offering one weekend, which we do not get $10,000 offerings. And, and I was anxiety ridden. And I had prayed to God. But you know, there was little faith. And I think on the following Monday, I was walking out of the house and my phone rang, and I looked, and uh, on the caller ID, it said that it was Julie, my youngest daughter, was calling me. I picked up the phone. I answer. That's my youngest daughter. A father is going to answer when his child calls on him. Who knows what she was calling about? I don't know. I, I don't know what it was. I don't remember. I think she was needing some money or something at that time. <clears throat> but, but, I, but I remember thinking, now wait. If I would answer my child's call, will my God not answer mine? Matthew seven eleven says, If you, being of selfish nature, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your Father in heaven give good things to them that ask Him? Ask Him. Pray to Him. Keep a list of the things you are requesting from heaven that only God can do for you. And by the way, I want to tell you that God met our need. He was faithful. He was a father to me and to our church. He promises, I will call on me. I will answer you. Number four, in verse 15, he said, and I will be with him in trouble. I will be with him in trouble. Now, here's another way God delivers us, that he helps us. See, these are all various things that he does to get us through. Sometimes he doesn't get you out of the trouble, but he always is with you in it. Like the three Hebrew children that thrown in the fiery furnace, I saw one, the fourth, like the Son of God. He was walking with them in the fire, and the fire didn't burn them. He may not keep you from it, but He will go with you through it. And let me add this. His presence is not just a dispassionate presence. God is everywhere all the time, so on. It means when God goes with you through something, He feels exactly what you're feeling, maybe more. A parent knows and feels what the child's pain is as well. In Isaiah 63, 9, it says, In all of their affliction, He was afflicted as well. So when you're hurting, he's hurting with you. If he hasn't spared you the hurt, he will go in that with you, walk you through it, and hurt with you in it. That's one of the things he promises to do. 
Number five, in verse 15, he says, I will rescue him. Now this word is used to take away from something. Like in Leviticus 14, it's used when they took a stone away from a a house. They removed it. So when in verse 15, when he says, I'll rescue him, he means uh, the word here is, I'll take him away from it. I'll get him out of the trouble entirely. I'll remove him from the experience. See, this is another one of the things God does. Sometimes he walks you through it. Sometimes he protects you in it. Sometimes he just keeps you out of it or takes you out of it whenever you get into it. I will rescue him. Number six, verse 15. I will honor him if we put our love on God, set our heart to love him. I will honor him. Now, Proverbs 22.1 says that a good name is better to be chosen than great riches. We don't give a lot of leeway to honor today, but in the Bible, honor is vital. A good name. It's, it's better than hitting the lottery in the Bible, the value system of God. And God says, if you will love me and come before the mercy seat, then I will honor that person. And then number 7, verse 16, he says, With long life, I will satisfy him. With long life, I will satisfy him. This is both quantity and quality. With long life, that's quantity. I will satisfy him. That's quality. It's long and it's strong. It's, It's a life that we should look to God for and pray and expect God to give us long life that's a satisfied life. There there are some people who live to be 90, but they're not satisfied. Or live to be 100, but they're not happy. We should pray to God and expect from God, based on His promises, I will with long life satisfy Him. There is a story in the... Old Testament, in the book of Joshua, about a man named Caleb. You may remember Caleb and Joshua uh, were part of the uh, spies who went and uh, are the two who came out of the wilderness wandering. Well, by the time they got into the land of Canaan, the promised land, in Joshua 14, and they were dividing up the land... Uh, Caleb comes to Joshua and he says, Behold, Joshua 14.10, The Lord has kept me alive. These 45 years since Moses and the Israel walk in the wilderness, making me today 85 years old, and listen at this, I am as strong today As I was, Caleb says to Joshua, I'm as strong today as I was in the day Moses sent me 40 years ago. My strength now is as my strength then to do battle. And Joshua said, well, what do you want? He said, I want Mount Horeb, even though the enemies and the giants still live there. And Joshua said, if you can take it, you can have it. And Caleb goes and conquers 
a giant filled city at 85 years old. I'd be making some plans. <laughs> Don't you think we should expect more in the New Testament than they did in the Old? Some of you have given up way too early. We need to see these promises from God, raise our level of faith, and say, Lord, help me to believe what you have promised in your word. Raise my level of expectation. You promise these benefits. I want to experience some of them. Then number 8, verse 16, the last one. He says, with long life I'll satisfy him. And number 8, I will show him my salvation. The Hebrew word for salvation here is Yeshua. And it's the Hebrew word for Jesus. It's a name. It's translated here as salvation, but if you bring it over into English, it is Jesus. And it means, Jesus, the name Jesus means salvation. That's why the angel told Joseph, Matthew 121, you should call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Because Yeshua means salvation. It means Savior. And it's the name given to the Messiah. So here's what he's promising those who would come before the mercy seat in the Old Testament. He's saying, I will show you Jesus. I will show you the Messiah that is to come. I'll show you how one day there's one coming who is going to save us. I'll reveal him to you. It is said of uh, Abraham in John eight fifty six. Jesus said, Abraham saw my day and was glad. Even Abraham saw it. How did people get saved in the Old Testament? God showed them Jesus. Through the sacrificial system, through praying at the mercy seat, coming to worship Him, God said, if you love me, I'll show you Jesus. I'll show you how salvation takes place. You come to me. So these eight things, and I, I underlined all of them here so you can get them. Uh, I think we should pray these. This is God speaking in verse 14 through 16. Now I want to end with just a couple of pastoral words to you today. And we're finishing, we're concluding Psalm 91. but uh, And we look at these benefits and... One of my concerns was, I don't want to take away with one hand what I just gave you with one, the other hand. So I want to be careful here. I want to encourage you to pray for these things in this coming year and expect them from the God of heaven who loves us and is our Father through Christ. We are, Ephesians 2, if, if this is sitting before the Lord, remember this, in Christ you are seated with Him in the heavenlies. So we're, we're seated with Him. But here's, here's a couple of things I want to end with. Number one, as you pray these things, verse 14, 15, and 16, pray them on the basis of the gospel, not the law. In other words, because of the righteousness of Christ as a gift... 
you come and ask God for these things. Don't, don't look at your life and think how unworthy you are to receive these. Look at Christ and think of how worthy He is and how merciful He is to grant these. Remember, we're coming to the mercy seat, not the merit seat. About 20 years ago, there was a rabbi, uh, Harold Kushner, who wrote a book called um, When Bad Things Happen to Good People. The basic problem with that book, right from the beginning, in the title, is that he's assuming we're good people. Well, here's a news flash <laughs> from the Bible, from the Bible... Romans 3.10, there is none righteous, no, not one. No one seeks on his own after God. All have turned aside and become worthless. And no one does good, not even one. Ouch. So where does that put us? See, in the gospel... Christ has become our sacrifice and our mercy seat. We're coming for mercy through Jesus Christ. We're not coming because we are worthy. Yes, I, I recognize there is none good. But Jesus is good. And Jesus is our sacrifice. So when we come, when you come, I hope you'll pray these things, these eight things, and expect them on the basis of the gospel. Because here's what the gospel says. In fact, if you could write a book on it, you could title it, Why Do Good Things Happen to Bad People? That's the gospel. See, that will raise your expectation. Wait a minute, you mean good things can happen to bad people? We expect good things to happen to good people. But the Bible says we're not good. And down in our heart we recognize I have sinned and I have blown it and I am before God. My righteousness has filthy rags. But when we come to God on the basis of Christ to the mercy seat, we can expect good things to happen to bad people. And that's why you can pray these verses. I just put hope into y'all's lives. I don't know if y'all realize it or not. That's a pastoral word. I want to give you this. I think we have it on the screen. 2 Corinthians 1, just to affirm that. Verse 19 and 20. When you read these promises in the Old Testament, look at this beautiful verse. Paul writes, For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaim among you, was not yes and then no, but in Him it's always yes. For all the promises of God find yes in Him. What Paul is saying is when you read the promises of God and and you go and say, God, is that for me? God will say, yeah, you can have that one. And you keep reading and you come across a promise. Oh, that is an awesome promise. Can I have that one? Uh, No, uh, no, that's not for you. It's not yes and no. In Christ, in His righteousness, in His standing and status, in His imputed 
state that I have before God. It is always, when I come to the promises, looking to Christ's righteousness, it is always yes in Him. So when you go to these promises, God's, and you say, God, is this for me? God says, in Christ, yes. Every time, every day, all the way. Let us play, not pay. I don't know, I'm getting off. Somebody stop me before I go nuts. Okay, another pastoral word. If you find you're an exception, it didn't happen. Give God the benefit of the doubt. Because we all have stories that contradict these promises, don't we? I mean, we we all know these stories. Christians, good Christians, that die young. They didn't have long life. Faithful, good wives whose husbands abandoned them. What happened there? Givers, tithers, lose their jobs. I thought God made these promises. Okay, when you come across these stories, these exceptions, maybe the best you can do is stay quiet. I would give God the benefit of the doubt. Because He just knows things you don't know. And sometimes the things that seem bad to us are good in the long run. Now, I'll give you a verse. Uh, this morning service, I could look out in our congregation and, and see several people who had lost children. Children died before they did. Uh, my family, we had a, a little daughter named Mary. Beautiful, blue-eyed little girl. She died before she reached one years of age. Uh, and we prayed to God. So what's going on here? I mean, you, if, you, if, 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 if you say it was judgment, I can tell you that there's plenty of sins to judge. But I think there's something else. Let me give you this verse. Uh, God says through Isaiah, that good men will perish and the godly die. Notice. Before their time. Uh, this, is the, this is a paraphrased version of it. And no one seems to know why, nor do they realize that God is taking them away from the evil that's coming. God, God is removing them. God sees something there in the future, and He's taking them out of it. And we don't, but we don't know what's going on. Give God the benefit of the doubt on issues like that. I'll give you an example of this too. It's the Apostle Paul. In 2 Corinthians 4.18, he's in jail about to stand before Nero. And he says, God has delivered me in the past. I know he will preserve me from all evil and deliver me from evil from this day forward. He, God, I know God will preserve me from all evil, deliver me from all evil. Well, a few weeks later, he got his head cut off. Now, every, almost all historians put that around 65, 66 A.D. Well, guess what happened next? 
in history. The great tribulation of 70 A.D., which Jesus calls in Matthew 24 the worst period of time in the history of Israel and and the, the nation of Israel. God took Paul out. Paul had finished his service and he removed him from the calamity and the evil that was still to come. Took him out before it all came apart in Rome and Jerusalem. Sometimes we just don't know enough to doubt. So let's give God the benefit of the doubt and recognize we're limited there. But in general, let's pray these promises and let's expect some great things from God in 2017. I intend to do so. I intend to put my heart toward God and claim these promises in 2017. Join me in it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you today for this great array of promises that you've given to us. I praise you for it. I thank you for it. Uh, Raise our faith, O Holy Spirit, and help us to hold on to these, these verses through years to come in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.